You're listening to the World Football Programme with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA, this is the World Football Programme. My name's Sean Kelly and we're in for another two hours of football fun. Thanks to, I don't know what the lady's name is, but Frank. Um, Jerry is recovering following an operation, so um, all the best to Jerry. Um, I know you're probably just about to switch off the radio and stop listening <laughs> to me, but um, all the best with your recovery, mate. And uh, again, it's nice to follow Frank and the, the show. So... Um, this morning, we have in the studio with us the A-League stats man, Peter Skeller. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Uh, very well. How are you this morning? Good, bud. Yeah, no, we're going really well. Um, living life and, lo- living it and loving it large, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got a good show lined up this morning, what well, I did have. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to start off with Neil Bennett of the Northern Redbacks, and we'll talk to him about the women's NPL and women's football in general. Um, there's a couple of things, I think, we, when we look across the state that make me want, worry about the WNPL, uh, WNPL, the um, W League. Yep. So we'll see what happens there, and what, we'll get Neil's thoughts on that. Um, then we're going to follow it up with Parker McKenzie, who is a journalist with the Soccer Scene. If you haven't had a look at Soccer Scene, get on to that. Lots of very, very good articles about football in general. Uh, very much an Australian slant, but um, I got onto that recently and thought, I'm going to follow up with these guys. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to have Donna on, Donna Gufray, but um, she's had to pull out at the last minute. So we'll see what we can do there, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> And then we're going to finish off with Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Um, lots of things happening within the local futsal scene. And there's a bit of traction going on. I'll be talking to both Parker and Greg about the push to have futsal included in the Brisbane Olympics. I'd like to see that very yeah, much. I think that'd be um, very, very good. Um, you know, the 
the sport is it meets all the requirements of a of an uh, Olympic competition. So I think that'd be spot on. Um, in news. For those of us who knew him, um, Sam Peters passed mm. during the week. Um, a sad loss to the glory. Um, and not only that, but his beloved Brentford, who were um, promoted up, recently. Yeah, up in the Premier League. But uh, anyone who's been around the, the glory, people like Blaine, Dreadcol- uh, Blaine Treadgold, um, and probably Donner all knew him, um, and a sad loss to him and his family. So, um, yeah, look, it's just sad to lose one of your family, really. Yeah. Um, and then other news, um, rather take a dagger to the heart than daggers to, vi- to the victory, but <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. gone. So uh, you're absolutely right with Melbourne victory being the, the glory. You can't even say the B team anymore. It's just, they're just poaching us left, right and centre. Oh, haven't they ever? I mean, they, they've just yeah completely smashed us with coach and everything. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that goes in the future and... Who else goes? Maybe, maybe Andy Keogh's going to get a call from him. I don't know. Oh, no, hang on. <laughs> I don't think that was... Yeah, no. No. That, that wasn't going to happen. No, it wasn't. Um, and I see that um, Adelaide City have signed a Perth goalkeeper for their women's setup. Adelaide United? Adelaide United, rather. There yes. we go. Yeah, Adelaide United, yeah. Um, Which is probably, the for us, the biggest news of the of the week, absolutely. Absolutely. So. One, one of our co-hosts, Miranda Templeman, is now a professional footballer, and good on her. Yep. I'm very, very happy that Miranda is now going to be able to call herself a professional footballer. Very sad that it wasn't with glory. Yeah, well, congratulations, Miranda. And um, I, I was looking at the Adelaide United W League team sheet. I, from what I see, they've got three goalkeepers listed Although, including Miranda, although that's still, we're in the off-season now, so whether they have the other two still there next season. But I'm, I would assume Miranda would probably be a backup goalkeeper at this point. I would but, say so, so, yeah. yeah. But terrific move for her and, you know, look, got to be in it to win it. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, best of luck to Miranda. Um, in other news, we've had a um, $35 million announcement for yes. the State Football Centre. Um, only 30 years too late, but you know, better late than never. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting in the same week that they mentioned the $70 million upgrade for the Wacker, but <laughs> let's, not, let's not quibble. At least we're getting the money, I suppose. And there's also an announcement that HBF Park is going to get an upgrade prior to the Women's World Cup. I saw that. I was a bit surprised because one of the things they were talking about was upgrading the pitch removal uh, by removal, levelling and turf replacement. Now, my understanding was from the previous Socceroos matches we'd held, everyone was raving about how good the surface was at HBF Park compared to other grounds around Australia. So I don't know why it needs that. but I don't think it does. I, I thought it was one of the better surfaces around in, in the league. So and, and one of the better stadiums as well when you That's look right. at it. So, I mean, I can understand uh, upgrading. So they're upgrading the, uh, the lighting. Yep. Fair enough. New player races and bench areas. I guess so. I hadn't noticed you know unfortunately i've never had the chance to go through the players race and i dare say at my age i'm probably not going to get a call up for the glory or the socceroos or anything so i'm probably not going to get to see it um and an upgrade to the power supply but yeah so all those things fair enough they might be needed but i don't know just sort of upgrading the pitch seemed a bit strange yeah well when when you look at the players races you've got the the two dugouts that were there from the um aussie rules days um kind of semi-submerged dugouts and then the the dugouts that they've got are portable and pulled out and just assembled yeah so i i don't disagree that they need to do something there yep but the power of the lights 
thought the lights were pretty good, to be honest. I thought they were too, but yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like with the new lighting now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, that's the way. Um, EPL kicked off? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it did. Uh, yeah. With a, a win for Brentford, as we saw. Oh, look, it, what a great start. Win for Brentford, loss for Arsenal, West Ham <laughs> won. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? You know, it's... Keeps me smiling. I'm looking yeah. forward to this week and, you know, um, keep going. And when, when I get the chance, I was going to get um, Derek on, but um, Derek was, was otherwise engaged because I, I always love to hear him talk about Oli Gunnar being the first coach sacked. Yep. Two seasons running now and he's still... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, it's, it's great. I think it's, it's fun. Um, and I think, you know, the EPL... Last year was a bit of a struggle, no crowds. Now you're getting the crowds back. England have been doing very well with their vaccination and they're working on the basis now of herd immunity. They've yep. got the numbers up. Um, and I see that some of the players, um, Jesse Lingard had COVID over the close season. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that goes in the future. But they're, they're not talking lockdowns anymore. They're talking just blast through it. Yeah. Um, and at the moment we're in, what, 200 plus days lockdown in Sydney. Um, and who knows? Well, it, it is a pity because we we did so Australia that is did so well early on with lockdowns and everything, but it just seems like the the set the next stage the vaccine rollout's just been bodged. Yeah, oh, um, look, and I think the other thing is that there's lots of people out there who have been um, not COVID uh, or or vax anti-vaxxers. They've they've been vaccine unsure, and I think yeah, hesitant. Yeah, and, and there's been lots of. Um, rubbish spread about the the vaccine in, in general. But the simple thing is, if you don't want to kill a member of your family, um, go get it done. Yep. Simple, really. It's not that hard. And, um, yeah, look after each other. thing is, once we get to 70%, those people who are immunised or suppressed and, or, or can't be immunised will be protected by the rest of us. It's how we got rid of smallpox, how we got rid of polio, how yep. we got rid of a whole range of other things that, you know, would affect us if we didn't have vaccines. So wake up to yourself, get a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, know, it's, yeah, it's no, I agree simple. entirely. All righty, um, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with Neil Bennett uh, of the Redbacks. We'll be talking WMPL and all other sorts of women's football. Back after these. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The OzWest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at ozwestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Please don't fence me in. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Miranda Templeman. The world is a little different to what we saw right now. 
We may be learning to play football with our mates online, keep in touch through FaceTime and watch classic matches on Share TV. One thing that won't change is being able to listen to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. Your World Football team are in the studio every Saturday from 10am to 12pm. We appreciate your support. Stay safe, Australia. We're all in this together. Okay, that was Miranda Templeman there, of obviously one of our team, but now a very proud professional footballer, um, Perth girl, but playing for Adelaide, which again, it just troubles me. Well, that's that's my second team now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, for the WNBL. For the WNBL. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Um, joining us now is um, Neil Bennett of Redbacks. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Oh. Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Yeah, I'm good, guys. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Now, before we get into the proper stuff and the football, um, I'd just like to have a word with you about the, the weather, because um, mm. really, since you've left the Bureau, it's gone the way of the period since you've handed <laughs> over Gary Bodehoven. I mean, what's happening? Uh, I don't know. Look, <laughs> I, don't, it was, I don't look at it. It was so much better when you were in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit ordinary, certainly. Yeah, it had an impact it is. on the games in July, didn't it? It certainly <laughs> has. The way it's July in 20-odd years, which is about as long as you've been with them. So, you know, I think it's um, <laughs> since you've been in charge of the weather, it's just... It's gone. That's it. So Gary's to blame anyway. Yeah, well, take that, take that as my parting gift to the West Australian public. <laughs> um, Redbacks and Mum seem to be in the box seat for the WNPL, but it's going to go down to the wire. A very exciting uh, WNPL this year. Uh, it is. The, the, the top two teams going toe-to-toe. Um it puts a bit of pressure on both teams, really, because they sort of don't play at the same time. So you get a bit of a tit-for-tat going on and, um, you know, one team gets an advantage and then the other team has to respond. So it it does put pressure on teams. Um, both sides, though, are incredibly strong in terms of the experience that they have. Um, there's many players in both teams who are well-equipped to deal with this sort of pressure. Um and it could well do that it gets down to the last game. But there's still, you know, both teams have games. Uh, Mum had that game against NTC uh, on Thursday, and then they've got to back up and go up against Balcata, who are never easy to play, especially on the home turf. And then um, even though on paper, the game against Subiaco for Redbacks on Sunday, you would say they should be favourites for a win. But Subi this season have shown that they're very capable of disrupting teams and it has to be said that the playing surface at Rosalie Park isn't best so um, the the Redbacks team is going to have to be at the top of its game and not take anything for granted because we desperately want to be there at the last game of the season uh, playing for it but we've got to get the job done in three games to go so it is it's the old cliche you take it every game as it comes so all focus is now attention for Redbacks on Sunday yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, mum were, were coasting along really well and then they got a draw, which kind of threw them out. And then the win on Thursday has put them back ahead of, of Redback. So the, that battle has been going on all season where, it, you know, 
you've just been nosing ahead. It's like watching a rowing race or something where the teams <laughs> just keep on going stroke for stroke. Um, for, for a neutral, very exciting. And I think from, from a neutral perspective uh, and for the game's perspective, be nothing better than on the last day of the season um, to watch two teams playing out to, to win the league outright. And I think, you know, um, that, would, that would be the, the dream finish. Certainly for football West, not for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it, for, even for, for players, it would be like a cup final. I think it just the Absolutely. excitement of it, would the, the, the whole game would lift um, from that. And I think, you know, the, the WNPL people have had their doubts about it. And when you look at the results, and, and you mentioned Subiaco, um, who have copped a couple of pastings, mm. um, it's improving. It is, although the disappointing thing, I think, is that because last season was basically a sprint and we did have a very tight finish, I mean, last season, Redbacks only just tumbled into the top four and they had to rely on a result from Perth against NTC on the last game of the season. Um, and it, it did have good signs, but unfortunately, the two teams at the top have pulled right away um, and there's been disruption in other teams. I mean, Fremantle have had that change of coach and now another change of coach as well. Alcatta with their change of coach and some injuries. Perth, it has to be said, have had a shocking run with injuries, losing both of their star players uh, over the last few months. So it's been difficult for them to maintain that consistency. And really, the two teams at the top have been the only ones that have been consistent. And then when you go down into the bottom, unfortunately, yes, Subiaco did get the win, and yes, they're a little bit more comprehensive. But when you look at Curtin, um, when you're shipping 60-plus 60, 60 goals in a season, I'm not sure that you're showing much signs of improvement there. Mm. So there's still work to be done. But, yeah, from a neutral's point of view, absolutely, the, the two teams going head-to-head has been great. Um, as I said, though, we... We're concentrating on Sunday. We're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. We've got a tough couple of games after Sunday as well. We've got to play Balcatta, who've always given us a hard game. And then Fremantle, uh, Michaela Lyons the other night with her two goals just looked absolutely on fire. So yeah. nothing for granted playing against those two teams either. Absolutely. I think the first goal that Michaela scored was the um, the one just across her body into the top corner. And, you know, that that's a cracking goal in any league across the world. Mm. Yeah, I mean, she's a, she's a quality player. Um, she perhaps hasn't had quite the season that she may have thought she was going to have. Um, and Fremantle have struggled at times during the season. Um, they came to, to play Redbacks at uh, Sterling Macedonia when we played under lights on a Friday night. And whilst the result of 5-1 looked like we gave them an absolute pasting, the, um, the, the first half was pretty much camped in the Redbacks' um, half. We, we struggled to get out and then hit them with a couple of breaks and then got another quick goal in the second half and the game fell apart. But they're a good side and uh, if they can get their act together, um, they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. Yeah, and I think, look, the the NPL, as you said, still a very, or WNPL is a very fledgling league and, and obviously it was the same with the men when they kicked off. Do you think giving the teams a moratorium on promotion relegation helps or do you think that breeds mediocrity at the bottom end? Uh, if you've got no chance of being relegated, I'd, I'd like to think it, it gives the team a chance to build so that the competition becomes more even. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think you you would be foolish to to give you know teams the flick after a couple of seasons. We we know the struggles are well documented for the 
Subiaco because, you know, they've only just got their first win in two seasons. Mm. Um, and when you look at uh, the Curtin situation as well, they were much more competitive last year. They've gone backwards this year. They've had some internal issues with coaching um, and they've also lost players through injury and, and moving to the United States to, to take up college soccer. Mm. Um, so I think a moratorium is good, but that has to go hand in hand with Football West actually determining that the structures that they wanted to put in place are put in place. So things like points for players and the insistence of a junior team, I think it, it, it beggars belief that we don't have every team with a junior team. I mean, Curtin have no junior teams. And I'm not being critical here of them. It's a fact. And how can that be the case? They, they should have a junior team because... If they are struggling, as I said, there's 60-odd goals gone past them. Yeah. How are they going to improve that? They can't attract the players at the moment, and because of the lack of the player point system, uh, that, that has an impact as well. So they have to bring up from internally, and you've got to have a youth structure. And other teams are trying to do it. Yeah. Um, Fremantle are incredibly strong in the youth sector. Uh, Murdoch have always had strong youth teams as well. So we need to make sure that we, we put the youth structures in place as well as having all of those um, player points yeah, situations look, I well. definitely agree with you there. When you look at it, you've got um, Mum and Fremantle, both very good, strong juniors. Um, Redbacks, who've always just concentrated on developing uh, women. Balcata, very strong juniors. So there are no surprises that those are the clubs that are at the top end. Um, Perth has always had a very strong juniors, but mainly male-dominated. So I think, you know, when you look at, there was an announcement during the week from Football West about uh, a female under eights, and I think that's a, a, a fantastic move forward. It is, yes. Um, that that's terrific. But you've also got to get coaches in as well. Um, yep. And we've and we've seen this season the movement of coaches. I mean, uh, Redback started with a new coach. Yeah. Uh, Balcada started with a new coach. Fremantle started with a new coach. Mum started with a new coach, and that's after one season. And already we've lost a coach. Yeah. Um, Curtin have had a new coach during the season. Yeah. So that's de that's destabilising. So getting coaches in and getting the coaching structure in the NPL clubs is good. And I and suppose the, the other part of that, though, Neil, is loyalty. I mean, the, yes. when you look at what's happening around the place, you look at the, the men's NPL, um, Gwellop are now in their, their second or third, no, third coach for this season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's only another two, two Gwellop coaches till Christmas. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, and there seems to be no no loyalty or, or, or vision. I know uh, look, my own club, Ashfield, very likely sitting in the box seat for relegation, but we've invested in a coach for a long-term plan, not not just the, this season. If you don't win the league, you're out. It's, there is a project in place, and, and we're bringing people in to support that project. But... Um, the loyalty is that you know, we need we need this person here and we're investing in that person in a long-term basis, not a short-term, and if you don't get us in the top four, you're gone type arrangement. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, that, that at the head coach level, you, you can't have a coach for a season or half a season, as has been the case, three-quarters of a season at Fremantle. Mm. Um, so you, you've got to have that loyalty and, and support of your senior coaching but underneath that the coaching structure that you have for your under 23s and again this is a 
I don't want to bang on, but why haven't we got an under-18s NPL? I know some people mm. say that, you know, that that's too much, but there are too many young girls at 16, 17 playing in under-23s. They're still learning the game. Yeah. And the, de- the, the demands at the under-23 level are a significant step up from junior football. I know. And they need, they need time to develop. So why not put yeah. them in with their peers in an under-18 group and allow them to come up. So if you've got good coaches in there, and one of the things that we're working on at Redbacks is to try and attract our senior players who may be thinking about going into coaching. And um, Larissa Walsh, um, who is uh, the joint golden boot at the moment, um, is doing a fabulous job with the under-16s at Redbacks. Yep. They're, in, they're in the top, the equal top on goal difference. Um, so they're likely to make the top four. They didn't quite get over the line in the semi-final, but... That's great experience for her. And the kids there love it because they can see an NPLW player. They can see the standard that they've got to aspire mm. to. And they they really do respond. Plus, she's a, she's a female coach as well. And that's another thing with female yeah. teams. But you've also, you've also got to look at the quality of the player, though. I mean, I would hate to think oh. of a 15-year-old Joe Cole being stuck in West Ham's under-18s. Oh. So, you, yeah, yeah you've yeah, you, you got to look at the yeah. quality of the player. I think in women's yeah. football, particularly in this state, there are far too many that are, are 16, 17 playing in the first team. But, you know, when you look at some of them, um, Hannah Lowry stand out, you know, you're not going to pull her back. Um, Sam yeah. Kerr, when she was playing, you're not going to pull her back. But there's um, there, there has to be a careful balance of who you put up and when you you push them forward. And I think if you're good enough, you're old enough. But yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a very much a balancing act. Absolutely. I mean, we uh, we had a young 15 year old that we gave a, a first team debut to this season uh, mm. at Redbacks. She's running away with the golden boot in the amateurs league. Yeah. Um, you know, scoring goals for fun, and she comes into the 23s every now and then. And, and, plays there and scores goals there as well. So she's definitely one that we've got our eye on. Um, so you're right, you you do have players that stand out, but I think the majority of them could do with that further development. Where there's, The pressure's not as great yeah. um, in an under-18. And, and yeah. go back to the quote from Cruyff, he said, the only team that needs to win is the first team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the others, they're, had, they're developing. I had that argument with someone the other day at a game uh, and then our first team beat their first team, so I won. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think it's, it is interesting because you, 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 to make a diamond, you've got to put it under pressure. And I think, you know, you've got this, mm. this person who is banging goals in for fun in the 15s could get beyond themselves and think that they're, they're you know, the, the, next, or the next Messi or the next Sam Kerr, whereas if they push up to a level where they actually don't um, have or the ability to score at ease, they have to work for it. That just hones their skills. So, again, you know, it's, it's just about a good coach knowing how to put someone under enough pressure to, to make them and not break them. Yeah, precisely. And, and unfortunately, the, the realism of the game these days is that pressure's not just coming from the players, it's coming from the parents as well. Oh, uh, they, don't even start they, me on that one. <laughs> they want to push their yeah. child up and, and you know... Yeah. And and now we have the situation because potentially, you know, a, a junior structure has to be set up that clubs that are not quite there will look around for players that, you know, they can get from other clubs. And yeah. maybe the club that they've come from says, no, 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 we think you need to stay in our 18th. And they say, well, we'll put you in the 23s or something like that. Yeah. And, of course, heads get turned and parents 
some parents are very, very understanding, but there are other parents that want their child to be the next Sam Kerr. And you can see that there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but you've also that. got you've also got coaches and clubs out there that will actually sell that dream and go, yeah, look, we guarantee you come to us, and that's that's nailed on. It's not nailed on. No. Uh, and we talk about um, helicopter parents, and you know, look, you don't get to the top without the support of your parents. You just got to look at the the Olympic swimming team and and you know, moving from Tasmania to to Brisbane to help her win all those gold medals. You look at what happened with Risden and his parents driving him up from Bunbury every week. Yeah. But yeah. you need the support of a parent. But there is this thing right now, and it seems to be very much a, a, a thing, where these people become Black Hawk parents. They're attack helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> and and they do that. Well, no, it's, it's not that new. I think Mike Ellis phrased it, but uh, and I'm stolen it from him, but I, I think it's a very apt description and they they are hell-bent on doing whatever it is to get their kid across the line. When in, re, in reality, a Sam Kerr, a Stan Lazaridis, um, you know, pick anyone that's that's made it from this state into a, an Australian side, um, that is a, a one percenter. It's, it's not guaranteed, yeah. and you, you have to work. I've known kids who've had the ability um, to become professional footballers, who've chased around Europe for contracts, um, and others that were as good or maybe not even as good who've made it and some that were as good or better who have gone, you know what, that's not for me and I don't have the desire mm. to chase that dream. You look at, um, I spoke with Dino Gilbich, who by his own admission was, was a fairly ordinary player but he, <laughs> want, he wanted it more than anybody else and he ended up playing professionally in Europe because that was what he, he was driven to do. And, and, you know, it's not just about the skill and ability. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors. Yeah, there are. And, and I think luck comes into it as well. You, mm. you hear so many stories as well of players who are showing a huge amount of promise and then one awful injury and their career is gone. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then you get Ke- Kevin Keegan who's told, go away, son, you're too small, and he becomes small, England yeah. captain, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. you do have to take these setbacks as well. But mm. look, I think the, the, the bigger picture... Um, and touching now on, on the W League is last season was a predominantly West Australian squad with um, the sprinkling of Kiwis in there and one or two interstaters. Yep. And unfortunately, we weren't up to the standard and there were many reasons for that, not the least of which was COVID and the lack of preparation. Yep. So if the aim of glory is to have more West Australian players, then we've got to bring them up and we've got to get them to that level. So structures... Mm such as a youth structure in every club, um, feeding into glory um, and probably probably the not the easiest thing to do because it's a long-term project, but that's where we've got to go because they're just not going to pop up out of nowhere. They've got to be developed and they can't just be these freaks that come out every now and then, like Sam. I mean, I grew up with watching my daughter play and she was in state squads with Sam at the age of 12 and 13. And even then, you could see that Sam Kerr was something special. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you do see them every now and then. But the ones that aren't special are the ones, as you say, then work their backsides off and have got that drive and determination and are prepared to put up with setbacks. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, setbacks, heartbreak, starvation. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things. When, when you look at Lisa Devanna, who went across to, to Melbourne and was pumping gas and working in delis till you know two in the morning just to make the dream work. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, it's not 
an accident. Um, another thing I've seen from the FA was um, a push now to develop female coaches. What's your thoughts on that? I think that's a, a brilliant um, thing that should be doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to catch up with Nicola Williams uh, when she was over in July and sat down and had a chat with her because she's now the assistant coach at Lazio. Um, and her journey was one of, you know, hard work, dedication, prepared to move, um, and frustration as well about the lack of opportunities. Mm. Um, so coaches, female coaches, it's great to see Danny um, coaching at Perth, but she's the only woman in the NPLW, yeah. and that can't be right. Mm. So we've got to get another generation of, of female coaches up and running. Um, there, there are a couple around um, out there as well. So um, Jess Lindquist at Forestfield is pushing for her B licence. Unfortunately, yep. she, she's broken a leg playing football. Um, <laughs> but, you know, those sorts of people we need to be encouraging and we need to be giving them opportunities as well. Um, it was good that Alex brought in an assistant coach from Sydney who was a female as well to see that for the glory last year. So yeah. having a, having that view that you can see that there are women at the top, there's not many in the W League either, is there? I can't no, there isn't. one off the top of my head. No. And that that has to change because without role models, players who may not quite make the grade... I mean, Alex is a case in point from Glory, but he recognised at the age of 21, 22, he was not going to cut it as a professional footballer, but he was passionate about the game. And he decided to go down the coaching route. And he, he just absorbed everything and he worked and worked and worked. And now he's got that head coach position yeah. uh, in a W League. Um, so that's a role model. And uh, you, you need role models for, to inspire the next generation. You mentioned the Olympics. You know, some of the feats of those Olympians were amazing. Oh, without um, a doubt. Uh, and, and even the Matildas, you know, you look at what they did, um, you know, against Team GB to come back the way they did. And the viewing figures and how many young girls are now going to be starting to knock on the door. We're anticipating a lot coming through all of the NPL clubs this season coming for trials and that. Yeah. So that explosion in numbers is going to be there before the World Cup. And then after the World Cup, well, hang on to your hat because it is going to take off like a rocket. And then when, when you look at the, the Olympics, and there was a, a lot of talk about the Matildas and, and the, um, the men's team that went over, um, about how disappointing people were that, A, Australia, the women couldn't win it, and B, that the men didn't make it out of the group stage. And you're thinking, hang on, you are in the, an Olympic final. You're, you're one of 32 nations that can actually play in that finals campaign you know out of 220 odd nations that have entered into this comp you're already a winner before you even played your first minute of your first game yeah anybody who gets a ticket as an olympian is a champion in my eyes it doesn't matter Same if they here. get knocked out in the first round or you know they fall over the first hurdle they've got there yeah and that's far more than all of the armchair critics will ever do <laughs> exactly um, you know you see all of these people who've never watched a game of football or done gymnastics are all of a sudden expert within two minutes of watching something <laughs> i know. <laughs> you know but just to make the olympics funny. or a world cup finals is is oh. the dream you know that's you've already in the the top um what 32 teams a squad of 24 or something so you, you're looking what a couple of hundred people it's it's massive yeah. absolutely massive to to be in that esteemed and company yeah, and I think that that's something that escapes many people. And all the hours of dedication and training and sacrifice yeah. that those those young people have put in, because they are, they're very young. Yeah. 
you know, you, Kira Cooney Cross, you know, she's a baby. Mary um, Fowler. And yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Sam herself, you know, at 15, 16, is strutting the yeah. world stage. It's just incredible um, what these players can do at such a young age. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, you touched on the, the W League earlier and and what, you yeah, know, the... The issues with last season, particularly for the glory, I mean, up, right up until the 11th hour, there was there was no talk of a W League. They may have to have played in a hub, which for part-time players is not a reality. Mm. Um, glory p- probably wouldn't have partaken in a hub-style um, competition in the eastern states. So all of their preparation was last minute. This year they've gone very early with their recruitment and done what I think is a pretty good job so far. Um but now we've got the other, the opposite issue that the eastern states are in lockdown, and how is that going to impact on for followers of the women's game that the WNPL in particular? I think the the A League will find a way, mm. but the WNPL because of its nature is is going to be very different. I think you're right. Um, I mean, it's it's depressing really to think that here we are after we got through the. 2020-21 season thinking oh the vaccines are coming that's it you know everything's mm. going to go back to some sort of normality and yet Sydney New South Wales Victoria now it just does not look like there's going to be any end of this lockdown until at least October um, and from there you, you've got another scramble I mean just looking at the list um, from Perth there are 19 on there uh, 10 of them are from Perth uh, yep. or nine nine from Perth so that's okay but the rest have got to come from interstate or overseas yep um, so you know only one from overseas um, Liz Anton from New Zealand um, so yeah it, it's it's tricky Alex can't get out um, he's stuck in Sydney yep. um, I know Gloria trying really really hard but the way that Mark McGowan works I don't think you're going to get much of a, a change from him so it's going to rely on the local players to, and I know that they are training as a group with add-ons as well at the moment, yeah. to just keep that enthusiasm going and to be in constant contact with Alex in Sydney. And I'm sure Alex is working with the, with the Sydney players, Sydney-based players, and the Victorian-based players as well to get them to, to, to keep their programs up. But, yeah, uh, I mean, the NPL... Um, in New South Wales has stopped, it's finished. So all all it, football in New South Wales has stopped. They've, yeah. The season's done. Melbourne have got a plan to either play two games and go straight to a finals campaign or extend the season out to November, either of which is, is a bit flaky, I think. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, you know, they're all going to be a bit rusty. So really the West Australians and the South Australians and Queenslanders are the only ones who've probably had an semblance of a normal season. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, players at that level, they're, they're, they're very quick to to get themselves into shape. But it's it's going to be another tricky one. Um, fortunately, this time round, I think it's not just Perth that's going to be suffering. I think all the other teams are going to be suffering. So it'll be an interesting season, definitely. Will be. There's a number of number of players have taken opportunities to go overseas so they've not re-signed yep. uh, contracts. So, again, this is another step that there are opportunities now for players to grasp. Um, and if they perform in the NPL and they, they impress the coaches, they will get that opportunity. So, 
Fingers crossed we have an exciting one. Um, yeah. Certainly Glory's going to be a completely different squad to last season. And I think with mm. the number of young Matildas and junior Matildas in there, um, and Alex getting you know to grips with the, with the, the scenarios he, he had to face last year, I think mm. that'll be a, an exciting team to watch. Oh, I've got no doubt about it. I just hope there's a competition to play in. Yeah. Um, and look, again, for the women's game, a year out from a World Cup, um, you know, you, you want players informed. You want some of those people we've spoken about today pushing for a place in, in the Matildas or at least in the train-on squads. You know, there's you've got to be there to and playing and in the eye to, to actually make people look at you and say, yeah, they're worthwhile. And I know that the like the English competition is now the premier competition for women in the world, um, and it's a lot of Aussies are making the move over there, which is great. But you know, it's not every everyone's cup of tea. So you got to make sure that they you are playing because if you're not playing, you're not in it. And I think that's what a number of the W League players from last season have done. Uh, there's it's quite a few are going to play or are playing in Scandinavian leagues now. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ella Mastrantonio, she had a contract with Bristol City last year. She's now got a contract with Lazio. So mm. she's teamed up with, with Nick Williams there. So um, some of the other leagues, you know, the French League, Ellie uh, Carpenter's in there. Um, there's nobody in the Bundesliga, I don't think, this no. year. Um, Emily Gilnick was there for a short period of time. So, yeah, the, the players are, are, are stretching their wings and, and flying away from the nest. And, and I think that can only be a good thing. The only issue there, though, is how do you then integrate the players that are left behind in Australia mm. or have chosen to stay in Australia with those European-based players. How many times can they all get together as a squad? Where do they go to? What are the logistics? So there are issues with that. But the men's team have had to face that for years and years and years. So you can tap into that experience as well. Yeah, and look, from, from the men's perspective, we've got the least men playing in the Premier League now that we've, we, than we've ever had. Um, and that's something that we've got to address as a nation. But um, the women have got more now playing overseas than ever. And it's, it's you know, improving the, the national team's performance because you're, you're playing against those, those best players in the world week in, week out. And training daily with them as well. Yeah. You know, that, that's the other thing. And you've been exposed to coaches who, uh, there's no disrespect to any of the Australian coaches in the W League or the A League. They're all excellent coaches, but you get different perspectives uh, as well, you know. Um, so I think the learning experience is there for many of them. And that, what a fabulous opportunity that, you know, a child now of 12 has, if they're good enough, the potential to play for you know, 20 years almost. Yeah. And as part of that period, they could be earning contracts that could sustain them. Yeah. Whereas yeah. five years ago, that was unheard of. You, you weren't able to do that at all. No, exactly. And I think, you know, whereas some of the women like Sam Kerr basically had to play all year to to get that sort of income, they're now getting to a point where they only have to play one domestic season and get a break, which, mm. you know, has, has got to be good on their bodies. There's been lots of issues around lower limb injuries in women um, just because of the amount of football they have to play to stay at that elite level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh it's a tough game, and and the higher you go, the bigger the demands, and, the, and you know the more stress that puts on the body. So, yeah, and that's something else that you know that people don't understand fully is the the change that a that a female athlete can go through um, from the age of thirteen to seventeen. It's mm. it's enormous. Their body shape changes completely, yeah. and there's all sorts of demands placed on them. So, having coaches who are sympathetic to that as well is is something that. 
know, you, you don't get many of, and you, you have to you have to work with it. You have to be patient. Um, Absolutely. But you know, the the opportunities are there now, and I think uh, we're on the cusp of something enormous in the in the women's game here in Western Australia and in Australia. It's just, and it's great to see the announcements from Football West um, and the government the other day. Um, I yep. didn't. I mm. must admit, I thought the optics were a little bit off, though, didn't you? With the, with the actual announcement, there yes. wasn't a single woman representative. There. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was quite interesting. They had no one there uh, that was a female, and, and there's there's plenty around that they could have called on. Oh, there's even in the Football West committee, they they could have called on a board member from from the Football West board, but that's by the by. Yeah. It's just great that, that the game is getting that sort of recognition, and also the coverage that's now starting to pick up from Channel 10 yeah. um, and and uh, the West as well is is beginning to, to really raise its gain in terms of the coverage of a local game, not just the public. It is, but then, you you know, I was talking to Pete earlier, you see £35 million invested in the National f- or the State Football Centre and then £70 million goes to the WACA for an upgrade. So, um, you know... The, we still could and should be attracting more money. We still need to be a bit more political. And we still need to be fighting for more. We shouldn't be just satisfied with what we got. We're going to go, yeah. well, we need more. Because really, when you look at the investment, we talk about our competition with Asia. Um, the Asian countries, particularly China, um, Korea, and a lot of the um, Arab nations are investing heaps of money into football, and we're just waiting for it to be fed from the from the grassroots upwards and, mm. and grow organically. And we wonder why we yeah. can't compete in Europe, in in uh, Asia. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, you know, I think that the issue of just waiting for stuff to come to you, though, that that's another one. Uh, and mm. I think the football community is guilty of that, of just saying, well, come on. Yeah. You know, we look at the viewing figures that are there and just say, well, isn't that enough? No, you've got to keep working and you've got to keep pushing. Yeah. And you've got to get political. Um, and, and, and I hate quoting Jerry Adams, but the, the, the ballot box and the bombs sort of comes to mind that we, as a, a voting body, football um, fanatics and, and fans of, of all forms of the round ball game, are voters, and we're not yeah. using that political um, mm. power that we have properly. We're not we're not gathering those people together and going right. We're going to talk to a party and say to them, look, we've we've got out of you know three million people in WA, we we've got over a million that could vote your way if you do the right things by us. Well, yeah, and you could go down to an even more granular level. We you know at Redbacks, it's a female only club. It's tiny. There's, yeah. there's less. There's less than 120 players. We're the smallest club in the NPL. Mm. Um, and the the female card is never played. We never play it. No. You know, we, we don't go to, to politicians or we don't go to councils and say, hey, this isn't right. This mm. does not look good that you won't, you know, support female football. There's a female club here. Um, you know, we, we've never done that when we've gone in for, for funding or anything so like that. So my question just... is, Neil, why not? I mean, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> why aren't you doing yes. that? No one, no one yeah. would go, oh, they're throwing the women's guard because we'd all be behind you. Yeah, I know. And it, it, it's it's one of those things um, that, that at times you think, yeah, we're going to have to pull this card at some point. I mean, the issue that we've got around Celebration Park is probably well-known within the football community yep. that mm. you can't play there. The, the residents will not allow us to put a fence around it, so we have to move. We have to go and look for another ground. And then when you go to councils and say, can you help us? And they say, oh, we can't put you on that ground because that would mean that there would be too much wear and tear on that pitch. And 
we need to make sure that the existing teams there, the clubs there, they get their fair share. And when yeah. you think that perhaps some of that traffic is being driven by an over-35 men's league, you've got yeah. to question mm. What, well, what are your priorities? And the other thing is, you understand the argument when you go to Rosalie Park. So, you know, it's it's yeah. one of those things that you see that there is a lot of football played on that bit, bit of grass. Yes, I mean, you do have to manage it. Yeah. Um, so whilst the state centre is fantastic, Fremantle have, um, you know, their, their women's centre down there. So the northern suburbs, um, you know, that northern corridor, it's an enormous area. There's... Big clubs, big junior clubs in there, Hammersley, Caramar, yep. uh, Kings, Kingsley Westside. There are big, big clubs in there. Yep. Um, wouldn't it be great if we had um, a football centre predominantly for women because you've got to have the facilities for them yeah. but could be used by those junior clubs as overflows to, Look. and you touched on at the, at the top of this, the, the segment with the weather. You know, yeah. If you can get off pitches and you can give them time to recover, then you can get through that. So mm. overflow pitches. So yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to pull in that direction. But that's a well. completely different argument, and football resources across the state are, are very hard to come by. And um, whilst I'm happy the money's been spent on the game, I personally am not a fan of the the home of football as being grounds. I think an administrative hub for um, football west is a great idea, and I think every individual club is a, a home of football in its own right, and we should have been making sure that we had good facilities at clubs across the state rather than concentrating on just one shiny jewel for the the governing body. Yeah, I think the issue about look, now the home of football is in, I'm behind it 100%. Are the clubs going to benefit from that or is it just going to be a training centre for yeah. NTC? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but now it's in. I'm, I'm behind it 100%. But, you know, my personal opinion is we should be in, improving the facilities in the suburbs where the players are rather than making one central centre, which is miles away from Karamar or Mandra. So, you know, that's my own personal opinion. Um, yeah. All right, Neil, been great talking to you. I think we could have filled the whole show, keep talking to you. Um, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate your time and appreciate uh, what you are doing and what you have done for the game. Thank you, mate. You're welcome very much. Thank you very much indeed for having me on. And it's a terrific job that you guys do as well. I know there's a lot of backslapping, but uh, coverage of the local game through shows such as this is so important because you never know who's listening and you never know where the stories will go. Absolutely. All right, mate. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. See ya. Thanks. Okay, um, there's been some other football men have been playing football as well over the week, I believe. They have as well. Yeah. Um, the, sort of before we switch to men, it's worth mentioning that FIFA's released their updated uh, world rankings, and Australia, after all their heroics at the Olympics, have gone down uh, and are now ranked lower than North Korea. They're Ooh. actually the second highest ranked team in um, Asia, North Korea. Well, this is quite bizarre because Australia had their fantastic win over Great Britain, who FIFA don't recognise as a nation. We earned no points on the rankings for that. Uh, North Korea, on the other hand, who pulled out during the qualifying tournament, haven't played any games, and therefore their points haven't changed. So, yeah, Australia slid down, Japan slid down, and North Korea are now the, apparently the best team in Asia amongst the women. So, go figure. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so should we go over the women's results before we move on to the men then in the NPL? Absolutely. So. Okay, that's yep. the way to go. So from last weekend, Fremantle City 2-1 over Perth SC. 
Uh, Subiaco, who had had a couple of good results the previous couple of weeks, were brought back down to earth with a 9-0 thumping by Mum FC. Uh, Hyundai NTC 2-0 over Balcata and Northern Redbacks 5-1 over Curtin Uni. Uh, so as we as we alluded to on the ta- at the table, uh, Murdoch University currently on top with uh, 44 points. Northern Redbacks just behind on 42 points, but with a game in hand as well. Uh, so those two have run away with basically with the title. Now it's it's going to be between those two, and the final match of the season will see them playing. So as you said, I hope hopefully it'll boil down to the last game, and we'll see a cup style final for that last league match. Uh, mm. Coming up this weekend, Perth SC are at home against Hyundai NTC women. Curtin University are hosting Fremantle City. Murdoch University Melville are travelling to Balcata and Subiaco AFC are hosting Northern Redbacks. That's uh, That covers the women's NPL. If we go on to the men, yeah. and over in the NPL there, uh, last weekend, Sorrento had a 1-0 win over Perth Glory. Inglewood United defeated Coburn City by the same result. ECU Joondalup lost 4-0 at home against Perth SC. Armadale and Floria Athena played out a 3 all draw. Uh, Floria Athena, certainly, they, they had one hand on the league title, but it's possibly slipping away a bit now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gwellup Croatia at home against Bayswater City. 7-0 win to Bayswater City, so... Things going a bit haywire at Gwellup. And Rockingham City at home against Balcatta. Uh, Balcatta took that one 3-0. Uh, coming up today in the NPL, Bayswater City at home against Armadale. Coburn hosting Gwellup, Croatia. Go Coburn. Hopefully they can uh, repeat it. Uh, sorry. It's like to be a fanboy here, mate. That's all right. <laughs> uh, Florida Athena at home against ECU Joondalup. Sorrento travelling to Perth. Balcatta playing host to Inglewood United. And Perth Glory at home against Rockingham City for the men's NPL. Lots of good football out there in the NPL if you're looking for something to watch today. Um, We're going to go to a break now and we'll be back after this with Parker McKenzie, who is a journalist with the soccer scene. So we're back after these. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station Sponsor. Hi, I'm Penny Tanner-Hoth. It's season 34 for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are the longest-running football show in Australia. Morphed from a sports program way back in 1987. The hosts and voices may have changed, but the content filled with passion, news, characters and history has not. The World Football Team are all volunteers and we appreciate you listening in. 2021 brings a new look with a new logo, website and podcast. Thanks for sharing the journey with us on Radio Fremantle. If you like us, become a member of the station. Find a membership form on our new website. The World Football Program. 107.9 FM, your local station. 107.9 FM. Always love a bit of the polka. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, it's good. Um, yeah. And good to hear, Penn. All right. So um, joining us now is someone who writes for the Soccer Scene webpage. If you uh, haven't seen it already, get onto it. And it's linked on our, webs- on our Facebook page. Absolutely. Look, I've been through it. Some wonderful articles in there. And one of the people responsible for those articles is our next guest in Parker McKenzie. Parker, good morning. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, yeah, look, I happened onto you, your website not too long ago and started reading some of the articles and uh, the group of writers you have really have a good handle on Australian football and uh, some of the people you're speaking to and some of the opinions you have um, really need to be out there amongst the, the general populace. So really thank you for what you as a, as a group are doing. Yeah, no, so we, we tend to focus more on the industry side of football. Uh, we don't look at competitions and match days. So we really try to get an in-depth look at uh, what's happening behind the scenes and especially what's happening with key decision makers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, at the moment, the, the biggest thing going on, particularly on the eastern states, is the, the COVID-19 and how that's going to affect those decision makers in what they're doing. And I've been speaking to someone who's involved in local women's football here about the WNPL in particular uh, and the struggles that may have going forward. Yeah, so it's the same issue that obviously much of our society is facing at the moment with uh, lockdowns and border restrictions stifling the access to the sport. Um, And this this is an intersection between politics, sport and health. Mm. And honestly, this is something that's going to be going on for the foreseeable future. Mm. Um, And hopefully as we head into the end of the year and to start of next year, we can see some of those restrictions ease as we get vaccination up. But until then, this is something that football is going to have to deal with. Absolutely. uh, From grassroots level, from grassroots level all the way to the professional game. Yep. I think um, when this all kicked off, two years ago, whatever it was, uh, one of the things I said was eventually we will all have to learn how to live with this in the background. And, uh, yeah, that's the way it's panning out. Mm. Yeah. It can't be downplayed just how much this is going to affect, especially the clubs in Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, The professional clubs will be relatively okay. Yeah. But these grassroots clubs, they will struggle. This is the second season in a row in Victoria where we've had mass disruption. To, to games and to clubs. And the thing is that the, the clubs themselves are reliant on grassroots funding. So if you're not getting people through the door, if you're not getting punters coming into the club and being part of that club, you run out of volunteers, you don't have people watching the game, then you become a less attractive option to sponsorship and the economics of the game doesn't work. And if the grassroots is suffering, then everything else will suffer upwards. Yeah, definitely. And there's also other factors like player development. Um, Players in Victoria, for instance, haven't had a full season in two years now. And that for a junior player, that is going to have an immense impact on their development uh, to to reach their peak potential. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And like they can keep fit, but then there's... In a team game, there's more about the team dynamics and how you operate with a team and how that all goes. And, um, yeah, that, that's that's where we, we're going to lose that connection. And then there are going to be players who um, are not 
or are concerned about their health who think, oh, maybe I shouldn't go back in. The fact you've not been playing, and, and when you look at what's happening in Melbourne where they're looking at going back to either two weeks and then a finals campaign or going out to November, you've got players who haven't been playing, although they're keeping fit, mm. keeping fit in your living room and back garden is not the same as playing on a full-size pitch. You, you're going to get lots of soft tissue injuries and that will affect players as well. Yeah. It's come up in conversation often with um, with coaches and presidents of the clubs in Victoria and New South Wales that when there is this, you know, you have a two-week lockdown, you don't train, and players will try to keep fit during that period. Um, but it's, it's impossible to stay match fit when you have three weeks at home and then you have to go straight back into playing games. And sometimes these guys will be playing games on a Wednesday and then a Saturday and then a Wednesday again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, going out to November has a knock-on effect with all other competitions. So there's a national um, league winners competition for the NPL, which then if WA's finished in um, September, late September, early October, then you're going to wait till November till Melbourne have finished theirs. New South Wales aren't in it at all. And then where do you, where do you play it? How do you play it with the political borders? Um, so, yeah, it's... The whole thing looks like a mess. And I, I noticed the, they said the FFA Cup was going on. Yep. But there was a game between Glory and Victoria that needed... Uh, sorry, Victory that needed to be played. And it was scheduled for the 8th of August, which is gone. Yeah, I, I struggle to see how the FFA Cup will continue this year. Honestly, um, there's the, the, one of the biggest issues that's going to face the, the professional game and the level, the semi-professional level below it is border restrictions, and that will have a huge impact, especially on the start of the A-League season, which is scheduled for the 30th of October. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, I spoke to both Danny Townsend, uh, who, for those who don't know, is CEO of both Sydney FC and the Australian Professional Leagues, who run the A-League, yep. as well as Tony Pignata from Perth Glory this week. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, the vibe I got was certainly a sense of dread hanging over um, the season. What... I can say is there is no doubt that the league will go ahead. Um, there's no doubt about that. Mm. They will have contingency plans regardless of the state of our nation come October. Um, and whether that's in like a hub format like yep. it was last season yep. or, or whatever it is, whatever they've decided is the best way the A-League will be running come I've, October. I've got no, no doubt, doubt that, that. I've got no doubt the A-League will run because it has to yep. and they've got the money for it to, to run. The, the W League is a completely different kettle of fish because a lot of those women are not full-time professionals. They're, they're part-timers. And when we're looking at uh, just talking to uh, Neil Bennett from Redbacks here, um, a lot of the, the glory squad, the coach is currently stranded in Sydney. We've got players stranded in Sydney, Melbourne and New Zealand. And we've got a, a train-on squad happening here, which is not being coached by the head coach. So even the glory is affected, even though in WA we're, we're pretty ripe as far as the COVID-19 lockdowns go. Yeah, but that's been an issue for not just W League, but A League teams as well. I know for a fact that Wellington Phoenix, they started their pre-season with only eight first-team players. Yeah. And for a professional team to have eight players at their, their first-team training, um, you know, they had a couple others in in hotel quarantine and they had a bunch of players stuck in Australia. That is, how can you run a training session for, for pre-season with eight players? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's I not possible. Uh, you know, we're coming up to October. It sounds like it's a long way away, but it's not. 
how do we get the fixtures out? How do we lock in fixtures? Um, even you know the the AFL don't know where their final is going to be played at that stage. Um, so there's lots of doubt around the game in general, and that doubt then tends to put off people becoming members. Um, you know, Perth Glory have got a very dedicated um, core of members, and that probably sits somewhere between three and five thousand. But the rest of them want to know that I'm going to get a seat in the stadium, and until there's a fixture list and there's some certainty we're going to have a competition. People don't put the dollars into a club and if they don't put the money in, everyone struggles. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, Perth Glory were able to play, I think, more home games than any other team in front of a crowd last season. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you'd probably put your money on that being the same again this season. Mm. Um, season coming because of the way everything's been handled in WA. But there's always that, that doubt because especially, you know, if, if the borders aren't open by October, um, how how are teams going to travel across? Will they be able to? Um, will Glory be able to have a full stadium even? And for the teams in New South Wales, are they going to be able to have crowds in their stadium at all? Yeah, That's such a huge question that's hanging over the season. I think for, for Glory, uh, with with things as they are, if there is no change, a full stadium's a given. Um, you know, we don't have any COVID issues here. It's about how we get a team from Sydney or Melbourne in, where they stay, what they do, and how the the interaction. I mean, last year, it used to drive me balmy. There was this COVID rule where the players couldn't um, sign autographs after the game, which is, you know, Glory do that very well. And they all shuffled off. And every single one of the opposition teams ran over to the corner where the away fans were and hugged people and everything else. You're going, what's the point? Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be difficult especially if restrictions are different from state to state. And that's something that is very possible, uh, considering that you know your, your Premier over in WA has said that potentially even with high vaccination levels, depending on the state of the nation, they might not allow travel in. Um, so, you know, if we're seeing some teams with, with crowds, some teams without, um, it's just going to put a, such an impact on the season. And on top of that... Um, the, they ran the season in a hub last year, based in New South Wales, yep. for a large part of the season. Mm-hmm. That that just won't, will not be possible this season. So what the Australian Professional Leagues and the A-League look at coming into the season is it's going to be a difficult decision. Um, they, they, they don't have an easy path ahead for them in, in ensuring this season goes ahead and it runs smoothly, and it's unlikely to run smoothly. That's the issue. No, absolutely, and and I think there's so much doubt, and you know the last thing we need in this game is doubt. Um, you know, there's a, a, plenty of people out there to bag us out and to to try and undermine the game without us doing it ourselves. Uh, I think, fortunately, uh, this this or not fortunately, unfortunately, I should say, uh, this isn't an issue that is only footballs to to solve. No. So every every sporting code in this country is going through a very similar um, time at the moment in regards to being able to run competition, uh, have crowds. And so hopefully the Australian sporting community can come together in this time and avoid you know, bagging people out, as you said. Yeah. Um, I would hope that would be the case because sport does unite us. And as we've seen through this pandemic, it is something that is very important to people not only from a health perspective, but emotionally as well. Yep. Um, and if we can come together as a community 
through sport, that would be the best outcome. Oh, without a doubt. And I think, you know, look, we're very, very fortunate here. We, we've had a Premier that's had a very hard line on the COVID restrictions. We've had a couple of very short lockdowns that have been effective. Um, and, you know, look, so far, he's he's not done the wrong thing by us. We've had people complain because, the, you know, the economy and sport and everything else. But at the end of the day, we've not lost anyone. We, we're all healthy and you know that's really what your government should be there for so it's just it's just about then how does that go with the rest of the country pushing for us to re, to rescind some of those borders the downside of that is i think we've got one of the slowest take ups of the vaccine and, yeah. and i'm i'm very much uh, someone who's pro vaccine but um because we don't have a problem and it's the perception in the public is we don't have a problem. I think if we get an outbreak here, as we, we had one recently that was dealt with very quickly, but it spread very quickly as well because there's so many people that aren't vaccinated. Mm. It's only an issue um, going ahead. You would hope that as people in Western Australia see what's happening in the eastern states, that that um, uptake of vaccination goes ahead much faster, mm. you'd yeah. hope. Yeah. But you just the only thing that points to the success of the strategy Western Australia has put in place is the fact that their local leagues are running at the moment and New South Wales and Victoria uh, aren't. You know, New yeah. South Wales have cancelled the entire competition this year. Uh, Victoria, you know, we spoke about how they're looking at maybe extending the season into November or having two games and then playing finals. And that's just dependent yeah. on when lockdown will end. Very, um, good, very and- good article, by the way, Parker. Um, it was well received which is always nice um which is always nice so uh it will we'll just it's just a wait and see unfortunately in victoria we won't know when football will be able to return until um until our political machines and our health departments let us know basically Mm. and that's what i'm saying that football will be dominated by that intersection of politics sport and health going forward Mm. for the potentially next six to nine even a year and I suppose the other thing with COVID, and, and I hate to do COVID to death, but I was listening to some things the other day, and, and people who've had COVID from the UK were saying that months on, they still felt like they didn't have full lung capacity. So we're not sure what the after effects of having COVID are. Um, surviving seems to be the, the most important part, yeah. but you don't know what other... Um, health impacts having COVID has had. Now, whilst for someone like myself, um, having not having full lung capacity would be inconvenient, it's not something that's desirable in an elite-level athlete. Yes, I and mean, we're seeing a lot of players uh, in the professional game, especially overseas, um, test positive for COVID mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, there was two players from Arsenal, I think, Obama Yang and someone else who tested positive. I can't remember who the second player was. Jesse Lingard from Man U. Yeah, exactly. And then you you wonder what the impact on their their ability as a professional player will be Mm. in the long term. Um, I know, for instance, Paul Pogba last season had COVID and it took him a couple of months to get back to his his best. And there's no guarantee that the the long-term impacts won't be severe. And for a professional footballer where it's a game of margins, you know, a couple of percentage in, you know, like pace, their, their ability on the ball... That can be the difference between a top player and just a very good player. So yeah. that impact on their ability, um, it's just a massive unknown at the moment. 
Yeah, but I think also with Pogba, the only thing separating him from his best is Ole, but that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so, so going away from that, because um, I think we've done the whole COVID thing over and over again, and I'm, you know, it's it's not tiresome, but it's just depressing at times. Um, going forward, I read another article of yours about futsal as a World Cup event, and I'm thinking, yes. Olympics that, event. Olympic event, right. It makes makes perfect sense. Um, when you look at what they're talking about, netball, street soccer, three-on-three basketball, why not futsal? Futsal's above all of those. I agree. It has the history yep, yep. Um, that a lot of those games lack, as well as I think it's already got ready-made stars. There's well-known players like Falcao, for instance, even though he's at the end of his career. Uh, the biggest thing, I think the most positive thing, is that they've included it at the Youth Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and also at the Paralympics. I think it's kind of a given at the moment. Um, it just needs a little bit of a push. And if FIFA and the member federa- uh, member federations of FIFA, uh, the countries, can get behind that push, I think it's very possible that we could see uh, futsal included at the next couple of Olympics. No, no problem at all. Yeah, that would make my next guest, Greg Farrell, very happy. <laughs> yeah. Would FIFA I've been involved with futsal all my life. Um, I've refereed, I've played. It is, as from a playing perspective, it is unbelievable for your player development. It's why we see so many top-level professionals who perform at the highest level of the game. A large part of their success is because they grew up playing futsal. Yep. And the amount of touches you get on the ball, um, you need to develop an awareness on the pitch. It's, it's just a brilliant game. And it is the perfect complementary sport to a football player's development. I played it myself a long time ago, but um, I don't think it added to my development. <laughs> would, would um, Parker, would FIFA be encouraging um, futsal into the Olympics, bearing in mind sort of with the World Cup, they like you know their event to be the premier event and they can't sort of get it out of the Olympics, but they restrict it to an under-23, in the men's level, at an under-23 uh, level. Would, would they be entirely behind putting uh, futsal at the Olympics or would they be more like, no, we want our futsal World Cup to be the main event? I uh, that they would be fully behind the push because the best advantage to having futsal in the Olympics would be an increased level of professionalism for the sport. Okay. Uh, That is something that futsal has really lacked, especially in Australia. Mm -hmm. You know, we, for the longest time, our representative sides for futsal, they were simply just teams pulled together by, you know, passionate people, uh, put a team together, enter it in a competition, and they would pay their own way there, basically. And if we had a cycle for futsal in Australia, where we had World Cup, Asian Cup, Olympics, in three out of four years, we could see futsal really push onto something more resembling a professional competition. Yeah, and I think when you look over the history, there was a couple of years back um, an issue with the way futsal was not being um, looked after by Football Australia and there was um, a couple of unscrupulous people who were taking out national squads and I remember reading a quote from a mother saying, I found it quite odd that they were telling my daughter she could play for Australia when she holds a New Zealand passport and it was a a pay-for-play type arrangement. So I think now that FA's taken an interest, the the governance of the game is much better and that structure is much better. Something that needs to improve. Um, that's the last thing you want. Having these, you know, these these outlaw representative sides basically doing whatever they want in the name of 
Futsal Australia. Um, and it's really something that needs to be, which hopefully will be addressed going forward. But if Futsal was at the Olympics and it had the backing of the Australian Olympic uh, Committee, that would change that in an instant. We would see almost all of that change overnight. Oh, and yeah. so the advantage of having Futsal in the Olympics, just go back to the question, though, is FIFA behind it? I would like to think yes. They would be behind a push for Futsal to enter at the Olympics. Whether that would be as an under-23s competition or a senior men's and women's competition, I'm not 100% sure. But certainly one of the two would be would be on the um, on the cards for a FIFA. Yeah, it's quite quite an interesting stance by FIFA because in the men's competition, obviously under twenty three, but in the women's open, um, if they were worried about the, comp- the World Cup being the the premier competition, you think they'd do the same with women? Well, I think they maybe got caught offside a little bit, so to speak, with uh, women's football getting more popular before they realised they'd sort of set up the women's World Cup in what was it eighty seven or ninety one yeah. was the first one, and maybe didn't realise just how much it was going to explode. So. They didn't care too much about the Olympics doing the same thing. You could see the same thing happen with futsal as has happened with the Women's World Cup. Um, So there might not be an instant interest in futsal at the Olympics, even though there was at the Youth Olympics. That being said, it was held in Argentina, I'm pretty sure, which has obviously got a rich history with futsal. Um, But if if we could get futsal into the Olympic Games, uh, it would just do wonders for the sport and it would really help it take off. And it is a wonderful sport, and you you just love to see it at the Olympic Games, having people represent their country at futsal. Absolutely. Look, I think there's there's so many ways we can enjoy the game and variants of the game, and, and futsal is just one. Um, and I think if you've got three-on-three three basketball, which is, is nowhere near as developed as... Um, I mean, it's basically a practice drill um, <laughs> against futsal, which is a fully developed game. It's, it's a no-brainer for me. Um, so you've got to look at it in that perspective. Yeah, and that, that history and that infrastructure that is yeah. already there, you see top-level leagues in in Europe and South America, they already get big crowds to games. Yeah, uh, They're an established sport. And when you see, you know, as you said, sports like 3v3 basketball, which I'm sure is entertaining, but yeah. it, it I think would be better. I'm not saying that it should be replaced by yeah. futsal, I feel like futsal as a sport is probably more deserving of a, of a position in the Olympic Games. Yeah, and then I suppose it opens up other things. I, I don't know how football manager would transfer to a, an Olympic sport. But it's very popular. <laughs> uh, and then the, the e-sports would be another one. But They've got their own scene. I know they have, but, you know, the, the, it just opens up a whole new range of things. But I think the e-sports come un, under just um, a mental uh, thing like chess, why chess isn't in the, the Olympics. Mm. Um so moving away from that, there's another article I read which was about um, it was time for Australia to put another World Cup bid in, possibly for uh, 2034. Um, there's been a number of changes in the voting system that the, was being used and I think big big bags of brown paper or baby bags <laughs> full of cash are no longer part of the deal. I think, I think our biggest chance of hosting a World Cup is honestly to have a really successful Women's World Cup yep. Yep. on our shores. Yeah. That if we can prove that we are capable of hosting a successful tournament like that, um, which I, in in some ways I feel we already have done through our hosting of the Asian Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we can prove that we can host a successful Women's World Cup, hopefully that will, I guess, influence people at FIFA, the, the decision makers there, to believe that we can host a, a successful World Cup, mm. a Men's World Cup. Um, so it really hinges on that. I'm not sure when the bidding takes place. 
um, hopefully after the Women's World Cup. Yeah. Uh, but as I said, it's always it's always difficult with World Cups. You, we all know the politics and maybe some some undue influence that goes into choosing the hosts. Mm-hmm. So to to win over the the decision makers at FIFA, that's the biggest problem with Australia ever hosting a World Cup. And that's basically the only thing that stands in our way. Uh, we need to... I don't know if we need to get better at lobbying these people or whether it's just because sometimes there's, I guess, not better suited countries, but, yeah, it's a difficult one because we, we all know the politics that go into deciding a World Cup host. Yeah, the, the problem with 2030 as, as well as will be the, the centenary and Uruguay is putting in a joint bid with a couple of other South American countries. Yeah. They're going to make, obviously, a strong claim for, you know, bring it back after 100 years type thing. Apparently, the, the, cho- the it will be chosen at the 74th FIFA Congress in 2024. So it will be after we've hosted the uh, Women's World Cup. So that that's something in our favour, assuming the Women's World Cup all goes smoothly. Yeah, I think yeah, look, when you look at the Sydney Olympics, I think our ability yeah. to stage events is is unparalleled. So I, I believe that the the Women's World Cup will will be a success, um, COVID permitting, of course. But yeah, um, yeah I, I don't see that we will make a hash of it, and I think that it will it will certainly bolster our case for a World Cup. Uh, facing the World Cup is one that is a major issue in our game, and that's infrastructure. Yeah, because yep. rectangular stadiums aren't the norm in this country. No. Um, so whether that means we'll have to build more stadiums or improve them, like, for instance, you know, Adelaide, they don't have a rectangular stadium that could host games during the World Cup. No. 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 Again, I don't that... think, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure Western Australia does either. Oh, yes, we do. Because... We've, got, we've got HBF Park, which is actually a fr- pretty good venue, and they're just spending another $35 million upgrading it. So for the Women's how, World How Cup, many people does it? Does that seat? It's like um, twenty-four. Yeah, so I think for World Cup stadiums, they have to be at least forty thousand seats. Yeah, and that's that's an issue. So yeah, it's, it's, one. Um, it is not, doable. That, that being said, that we have had World Cups where large amounts of games aren't hosted yeah. in rectangular stadiums. Yeah. And the other but, thing is, I suppose with Perth, is that there is. Um, a configuration for Optus Stadium, which will actually turn that into a rectangular uh, pitch. So, and that is a wonderful stadium. Yeah, uh, I've I've been there. I saw yeah. Manchester United versus Leeds there. Yeah, yeah. And it w- it is a wonderful stadium for football, without yeah. any doubt. So, and so with the with that um, addition of seats that they put in, I think it goes out to fifty odd thousand. So, I mean, that's well within the capacity, and I think the the state government would make that happen. And I feel, as general and as a sport, um, we have gotten a lot better in recent years yeah. for for accessing those government channels to to really build infrastructure, and that is something that is really improved. And I suppose we still have some way to go. I suppose when you look at it, though. Um yeah, 70,000 in rectangular mode for Optus. And I think we're going to see that very shortly because there's been a Bledisloe Cup match which yep. has been cancelled in the news recently. But I believe that it could well be played in WA in Optus Stadium in that in that particular format. So if you can get 70,000 mad uh, rugby fans there <laughs> and 
we've got enough expat Kiwis here just to fill it with them. Um, it would be brilliant, you know, and I think it, it showcases what WA can do and, you know, the, the work that McGowan government has done on COVID would, would drive that. So, yeah, I think we're, we're better off than we think we are. And certainly in recent times, I think state federations themselves have um, become much better at lobbying government for funds. That's something we've seen in Victoria in recent times. You know, Heidelberg United recently had $7.5 million mm-hmm. allocated yeah. to improve their stadium. We're seeing large amounts of funds being allocated to community clubs yeah. to um, to upgrade, you know, everything from lights, pavilions, to stands. And this is this is the biggest issue for our sport in the long-term infrastructure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't matter who you talk to from the state federations, they will give you the same answer. Yeah, and I've offered Central um, Coast Mariners 200 bucks to get rid of the sauce bottles. But... <laughs> I love those sauce bottles. <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, if Central Coast Mariners manage to take over their stadium, uh, the running of their stadium, yeah. they will be so well off in the long run. Yeah. It's why if Western United manage to build actually get shovels in the ground and build their stadium, they'll be one of the most important football clubs in all of Australia. Yeah. Um, infrastructure is going to be, has been an issue in, in our sport for 20 plus years, probably even longer. And it's going to be an issue going forward. Mm. And it's really something that we just have to, to get on with and force people in government to obviously acknowledge our sport. Uh, well, I think also politically we don't understand what power we have. I mean, we we doesn't and it doesn't matter. We can put up the most eloquent argument, the best video presentation. We could have um, Tom Cruise doing somersaults and everything else in a wonderful presentation, and then some bloke turns up in in a string vest. Uh, um, and a Cobra hat and goes, Aussie rules, mate, and all of a sudden he gets his money. Um, <laughs> but we don't understand just how politically strong fans of football are, and we don't utilise that strength enough because if we could turn the fans of the game and people who are involved at junior level, uh, men's level, females level, and just as TV fans um, into voting blocks we we would have a lot of money available to us because we would control the politic of uh, the political landscape too too radical i think <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's that was just my opinion um we seem to have lost parker i don't know what's happening there at the end of the line okay. so yeah we'll just roll on with that and i'd like to thank parker for his involvement um Anybody who needs to um, find out what's going on, have a look at Soccer Scene. It's yep. really well worth it. There's a link on our webpage, and, um, yeah, there's really some, some good, good stuff going on there. So have a look at it. Um, all right, so State League. State League. So over in State League 1, uh, the results from last week were Fremantle City had a 3-1 win over Ashfield, Mandurah City 1-0 over Quinns FC, uh, Kingsway Olympic Two nil away win over Swan United. Sterling Macedonia wrapped the title up with a four nil win away over Western Knights. Joondalup United three two over Subiaco AFC and Forestfield United two nil over UWA Nedlands. I never actually got my calculator out to make sure, but going by the Facebook posts, uh, Sterling Macedonia have wrapped up the league title there with a few weeks to go. And over in State League Two, if we get the results up, there we go. Yeah. Um, 
Wanneroo City uh, and Curtin Uni played out a nil-all draw, which seems to be quite rare in um, in state league terms. Uh, Kenning City 5-2 over Kilmscott Roos. Balcatta 2-0 over Joondalup City. Mum FC had a 2-1 away win over Gosnell City. Uh, Morley Windmills hosted Dianella White Eagles, uh, which finished 3-0 to Dianella, and I think they've also wrapped up the league title there. Uh, Caramar Shamrock Rovers against Kingsley Westside, I don't have a result for. Coming up this afternoon in State League 2, Dianella White Eagles are at home against Canning City. Kilmscott Roos hosting Caramar Shamrock Rovers. Kingsley Westside at home against Belga. Gosnell City travelling to Joondalup City. Mum FC against... Wanneroo City and Curtin Uni hosting Morley Windmills. Yeah, so lots of good football out there if you're a fan of the State League, so get on to it. All right, we're going to go break shortly and we will be back with uh, Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Back after these. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Please don't fence me in West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport at all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au. And that sounds very exciting, that ad. I like that ad. It's a good new one. Um, as I've mentioned earlier, Donna Goufray was on. Un- unable to come on the show today but she has mentioned that if you look on the dt38 website they're going to have another free screening clinic um out there for all you boys get on the dt38 um website go and get those twins checked out because um no no looking after your health doesn't matter what age you are go and look after yourself if you and particularly with your, your your physical health but not only that your mental health so um you know we want you all around for a long time, so let's get checked out. All right, joining us now on the show is the man who's all about Futsal WA in this state, and that is Greg Farrell. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Hello. Um, oh, I don't know what's happened there. 
Okay, we don't even have any results to go through anymore, do we? Oh, no, we'll find something else. Hello, Greg, are you there? Oh, I don't know what's happened there. All righty. Um, well, we're... over in the Women's State League Division 1. Okay, there we go. No, that's dropped out. No, Proper. okay. All right. Okay, so we'll go through uh, Women's State League Division 1 in the meantime while... Sean sorts out the technical issues. Um, <laughs> we don't normally go all the way down to State League Division 1, so it's a bit of a treat for us. Uh, Gwellup uh, SC had a 3-1 win over Sterling Macedonia. Southwest Phoenix had a 7-0 win over Armadale SC. Uh, Sorrento FC had a 3-1 win over UWA Netherlands. And June, ECU Joondalup had a one, uh, 4-1 win over Mandurah City with Perth AFC having the bye. We're just getting uh, Greg back on the line now, but currently in that division, Southwest Phoenix are sitting on top of the table uh, with 38 points and a game in hand, one, one point clear over UWA Netherlands. So I think we might need to start waffling on about some other stuff shortly. What do you think, Sean? We do, okay. And... <laughs> And in the State League Amateur Division, Southwest Phoenix also making an appearance there. They uh, had a 5-2 win over Hammersley Rovers. Wembley Downs had a 2-0 away win over UWA Netherlands Amateurs. Leeming Strikers, whose shirt I'm actually wearing today, had a 8-0 win over Jaguar FC. Uh, Queen's Park uh, were at home against Quinana United, but had a 4-0 win to Quinana United. Joondalup United Amateurs had a one-all draw with Maddington White City and North Perth United had a 2-1 win over Quinns FC Amateurs. Southwest Phoenix sitting top of the table there and possibly moving up to State League. But I think we're back now. We're back onto futsal now. Um, thank you very much. I used to think Don Evans was the best wingman ever, but you've, <laughs> you've excelled there, Pete. Well done. Um, joining us now is Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Greg, good morning. How are you? I'm good, guys. How is everyone? Good. Um, just having a chat with um, a journalist from the soccer scene, um, Parker McKenzie, who's very much a fan of futsal being included in the Brisbane Olympics. Um, that would excite you, wouldn't it? Uh, most definitely. I, um, m- my dad used to work for, well, back when it was run by Soccer Australia, he was working for... Uh, Queensland futsal and there was a big big push for futsal to be in the Sydney Olympics and I know there was a lot of politics involved and uh, it actually got the go-ahead from I believe FIFA and the International Olympic Committee but after a a lot of work and a lot of negotiation but then was um, I do believe railroaded by the the actual Sydney organising committee they Didn't want didn't want it to to go ahead because it wasn't going to be able to be played in Sydney. It would have to have been on the outskirts, and they mm. they uh, only wanted the games to be in Sydney where possible. Yeah. Oh look, I'm just looking now. I'm thinking Greg Farrell, Queensland futsal. It's it's just got to happen. <laughs> well, I, I I know it's been in the Youth Olympics. Um, yep. And. It would be an amazing thing to be in the Olympic Games. And is it is it going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> and and to be fair, it, it's a much more serious sport than it was twenty odd years ago. So, you know, much more established um, sport. There's um, 
professional leagues around the country now. It's, it's played by both men and women at, at elite level. So I think, you know, when we're looking at it in that perspective, um, far more uh, viable proposition than, say, netball or three-on-three basketball. Mm. Yeah, well, it, yeah, three-on-three basketball, don't get me started. I know. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely got a much better base now mm. in Australia and uh, around the world, football has been strong forever. Yeah. But in in this country now, it's much more widespread. It's much more well known. The organisation and the way things are run still needs a lot of work, and and we need to have a a common goal across the football community. But the the people in different areas and different locations are doing much much better, and the game is just much more widespread and popular. So with the potential for an Olympic Games and even the, the Women's World Cup in two years' time, you've got so much more emphasis on football and and people playing whatever it looks like in order to get better and to enjoy it. And Hopefully, we can use those things. And if the Olympic Committee gets on board with having football, then it, it will hopefully it will be another driving force behind making what is one of the fastest-growing games in the country even bigger. Absolutely. Um, now, talking of widespread and popular, it sounds like you're descri- describing um, futsal in WA. Well, not, not as widespread as hopefully we will have it in the next couple of years, um, but it, it's certainly getting bigger and, and getting more popular every week. We have people who have never played before looking to join social leagues and um, wanting to play it at different levels, wanting to experience it either with mates or slightly more serious. Um, and we're also then looking at what we can do in regional areas uh, to get to get futsal growing in those areas. Um, I know Football West have done some very good work in, in the regions for football, um, but we want to get futsal happening out there as well and see if we can encourage more people to experience a round ball just slightly differently. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great idea. Um, what competitions have you got running and closing and starting at, um, out there at the moment? Uh, so in at our, at our social venues in Mount Lawley and, and Nedland, we've got all the, all the social competitions are sort of getting ready to have finals for their winter seasons and then they'll be starting up sort of in the next month, their, their summer summer season um we've got everything from under 11 up to open men's and women's and and mixed competitions at, at all all of those venues um we've then got the the elite competitions the superliga which we'll have for the first time 11 13 to 15 in uh boy well the 11 competition is a, a mixed competition and then the 13 girls and boys the 15s and then 17s as well. Um, so trying to make sure that we offer those players that want to play at a more competitive uh, level and also on, on the, the good court, the, the good inside court, the wooden one, um, as compared to playing social futsal, which is out on the, the AstroTurf. Um, we also then have junior academies and <laughs> I guess the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. No, look, there's there's a heap going on here, unlike over in the eastern states. How how are your your cousins over in the east um, going? 
Yeah, but how's that bode for um, the the national competition, so state sides, and then obviously you've got selections for national sides. All of that has been absolutely crippled through COVID. It has, yeah. So um, I was supposed to be taking the Australian women's team to New Zealand. Um, well, it was initially meant to happen in April, and then it was pushed back to November for a, an 11-day training camp. Um, now, with everything that's happening, the bubble with New Zealand is gone, so we don't have that option anymore. Um, and then, obviously, players from New South Wales are in lockdown and players from Victoria are looking like they're going to be in lockdown very soon again. So I guess it's just a matter of we've just had to react as things happen. We had periods of time for three or four months where everything looked quite rosy and mm. we didn't have community spread in Australia and everything was sort of looking like we could be getting back to some semblance of normal, but then it rears its ugly head and people have to adapt and, and just work with what's in front of them, I guess. Trying to be as patient as possible with people like me who are, are trying, to, trying to do their best to grow the sport and, and give people opportunities. Yeah, and look, it, it's really difficult. I mean, we've well, not all of us, but um, a lot of us have relatives over east. Um, we've and a lot of us have contacts who are, are over east. We were just talking about the um, Glory WNPL coach or the uh, sorry W League coach um, Alex Epicus, who's trapped in Sydney at the moment. So there's lots of people in those situations, and then you've got people with family members who are living there who again are in lockdown and it's, it's just a, a sad situation for everybody at the moment yeah well and I hope um, well for the, the sake of the Perth Glory and some of the local players who I hope are going to get an opportunity with the Glory I hope he's able to get over here sooner rather than later um, but again it's it's about finding new ways of doing things I guess even if he can't be here, there's always grabbing a phone and sticking him on FaceTime or something while oh, they're doing a session that he can watch. I'm absolutely certain that he'd be up on a laptop somewhere or a, a iPad and watching the, the training sessions and getting involved. But you know yourself, it, it, training remotely is not the same as being there. Um, as no, certainly as you, you miss out on that experience. Mm. Yeah, well, and we... So uh, some of our Futsal WA coaches are starting a a coaching course from Brazil tonight. Okay. So for the next the, the next five weeks, uh, we're doing uh, they call it the the Brazil it's the Brazilian level zero the the monitor level. Yeah. Um, so it's a, a basic introductory um, to senior coaching course. Yeah. But for the next six weeks, we've got that happening. Uh, in the late hours of Saturday and Sunday night. So pe people are finding different ways to do things and the way that we have been able to establish remote and electronic um, 
meetings and conferences and everything else is one of the beautiful results of COVID, the the technological advances that we've made. So Absolutely. Even, if can't, mm. even if Alex Abacus can't be here at the moment, I'm sure they're doing lots of good work to make sure that the the players are prepared eventually and they know what they want to be doing. And I was uh, just talking to my previous guest, Parker McKenzie from Soccer Scene, about the... Um, the W League and, and the effects that COVID-19 could have on that. I mean, we're, we're talking football in New South Wales has been shut down completely. Melbourne's talking about um, either having two weeks and straight in the finals or going out to November. Um, all of these will have impacts on the W League going forward. Yeah, and that's... like I don't see how New South Wales is going to be in a position to be having games and having people in and out of the state in 2021 like uh, i think the number of i think the number of cases is now up to was it nearly 700 today mm, yeah um and from the news that i heard this morning on my way to futsal it was looking like in the next week or so it's actually going to keep getting worse mm. um to the point where they're sort of expecting it to be above a thousand a day next week, so it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we are now, amazingly, at the end of August. I don't actually realise know how that happened, but um, yeah. we're going we're going into spring, and it's it's not looking like it's it's going to get better over there anytime soon. So no, and like then I said, people have to adjust and, and work with what's in front of them. And it quite, might be a might be a case of the hubs happen again. Uh, well, and where do those hubs happen? Because I know Queensland have stiffened up their borders with New South Wales, and and they were they weren't lax, but they weren't very tight because of some of those proximities. Some of the some of those towns um, actually breached the border at times. So um, the, the issue there is that. Um, it could leak into Queensland very, very quickly because um, there's some very, very selfish people out there who don't do not worry about transmitting borders because apparently it's a pandemic and it doesn't exist. But you know, you'd hate <laughs> you'd hate to have your lungs filling with something that didn't exist. But mm. you know, there there are some very, very selfish people out there, which is why we're where we're at. And I think you know, we we look at WA and where we're at, and yes, we've had a very strong government that have done what I think is an extremely good job but we've also got a very socially responsible public for all of the things that we we say and and, you know we we disrespect our our politicians and our rule makers at times when it comes to something really important like this we have rallied together and we have as a a society kept each other safe so I think you know the WA public have got a lot to do with with why we're not in the same situation as they are over east No well and Having come from Queensland originally, I know Queensland is a, a quite conservative state and to my surprise a little bit, people have have been very responsible in Queensland for the most part. New South Wales and being a Queenslander we have a we're bred to have a, a hatred for people from New South Wales. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. To, <laughs> when it comes to things like state of origin and, yeah. and and the discussion that well the only thing that like survives a nuclear blast is a cockroach and so new south wales was going to survive anything no matter what <laughs> it, it sort of sort of sort of seems to me like they're taking that a little bit too far now and they're testing their limits and 
yeah. kind of Darwinism in action. Um, but, Actually, that's the uh, second time this week I've heard Darwinism in action yeah. in relation to the COVID situation in New South Wales. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately, it just seems that there are people who are going to do what they want to do and suffer the consequences at some point, but the rest of us have to deal with it too. Um, yeah. Ho- hopefully, they get a handle on it and we can yeah, keep progressing forward, but what are the chances? I don't think they're very high at the moment. No, but it does make me worry. I think the, the A-League will be fine. We've got professional footballers who can, and, and we saw what lengths um, New Zealand went to last year or Auckland went to last yeah. year when they based themselves in a New South Wales hub for almost all of the season. So, you know, these things can be done by a full-time professional club. I just see that the, the Women's League is going to be um, adversely affected by this. Um, and it's, I suppose the other thing is that because it's such a short competition it may be able to to just start later but um again that doesn't do anybody any good no and it doesn't help us move towards making it a professional league no uh, you, you look at have, having coaches at northern redbacks with people like kim and sarah carroll and sean billam girls from the the glory yeah um you look at the things that they've had to do sean stopped playing glory uh, I think two years ago now, because we uh, being a, a teacher and a, a head of um, a curriculum area at her school, it was it was too much, and we're still asking female players to make sacrifices that yep. male players haven't had to make in forty years. Yeah, no, exactly. Years. So I think it's the opportune time to put things in place so that the those sacrifices don't have to be made by the 14 and 15 year old who are the next generation yeah. if we if we can get things right now given everything that's going on then hopefully moving forwards it's the last time that professional players who are at, at the highest level of the game in our country are actually not going to be able to play and the women's world cup is going to be doing a lot of that heavy lifting and i think you know if we don't if that's not the catalyst for having a fully professional national league for women, um, what will be? Because, um, you know, it it just seems in this day and age, it beggars belief that we don't have it. And I understand the economics of it, but when you look at the the following that the Matildas have, they put more bums on seats than the men do. Mm. Well, and I think it's then up to people to, I don't know, put their money where their mouths are. Yeah make sure that the competitions happen. Unfortunately, I don't think the FFA have ever done enough to see that that occurs because if they had, it it would have occurred. Mm. Um, So the onus is on the federal government and the football governing body to, to make it happen, really. Yeah, look, and this this has been resonating all through the day for me, but politically we need to become more aware of the power we wield. Um, and, yes, the, the federal government needs to be putting more money into football, um, and there's only one way they're going to do that, and that's if we threaten their livelihoods by voting against them if they don't do what we need. And I think that there needs to be parity in funding across football. Um, you look at this state, I think um, the the Aussie rules game gets something like 15 million pumped into it by the state government and we we get naff all um i think the, i think <laughs> wa tiddlywinks gets more money than football but um we but we're our, yeah, we're but we're victims of our own apathy we do not use our political power enough and we need to be more politicized and we need to be saying you know no we, we deserve 
in Australian vernacular, a fair suck of the sav. We need to be getting the same same dollars yeah. as everybody else. And well, I wouldn't, and, uh, I wouldn't have a problem if everybody got you know ten dollars for each head of person that was playing the sport at any level. At least that way it'd be fair and equitable. But at the moment it seems unequal, and you you look at the funding that goes to um, Aussie rules, cricket, tennis, netball. It's all Hockey. still yeah, still far in excess of what soccer gets, and it's the largest largest participant sport in the state in the country. Yeah, well, and we, uh, I think what you've just said is one of the big things is that we don't use. We don't use the platforms that we have, and we mm. also don't work collaboratively. Too well, many people are, are far too concerned with their own patch of grass, whether it's, I'm not going to actually yeah. say particular clubs, but no, Club no, but... A and Club B and Club C, people are more than happy to look out for their yeah. own and, and, and try and build that up. Exactly the problem. I've got a, I know someone who has um, a friend who's high up in Aussie rules in WA, and he says to him, you know, why aren't you worried about football? With the, with all of the, the players that we've got and all of the political um, nows we have, why why aren't you worried about us? And he said, because you will destroy yourselves, and <laughs> yep. you do all the time. All the time. And we do. We, we actually destroy ourselves. You know, I have an opinion that in the football world, I will, I will hate an opposition club for 180 minutes of the year, and the rest of the year we, are, we have to be working together. Now, I don't mind. Once the, the whistle's blown and we're at war, that's it. We're at war. But the whistle, for the final whistle goes, that's it. We're back on and we have to be working together for the good of the game. Yeah, well, and, and that's most definitely the biggest issue that we haven't gotten right since, well, I've been alive. Mm. Um, my, my old man said something similar in Brisbane in the 90s when he was club president of my, of the, the club I started playing at as a junior um, was that people needed to be working together to get football Brisbane and football Queensland to do better. And it, it's exactly the same all the way up the tree. Perth Soccer Club, Northern Redbacks, Bayswater, Inglewood, ECU Joondalup, they've all got a lot of power and they can wield it together to do so much more put Football West under the pump and all Football West are then going to do is pass it on to Football Australia Mm. and then Football Australia have to get going and and put people in place to do things and eventually it's going to make a difference if Mm. everyone does it together Mm. but at the moment uh, it's a matter of having a forum and having people agree that those are the things that need to happen Absolutely. All right, mate. Um, wonderful to have you on. Thank you for what you do um, out there in the community for futsal. I know you're very passionate about that brand of the game and, and you do a wonderful job with it. Thank you for being a sponsor of the radio show and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much, Dan. You have a good weekend. Cheers, mate. Take Thanks. care. Okay, bye. Okay, we're closing in on the end of the show. Um, as I said before, uh, and for those that didn't hear at the start of the show, uh, the passing of Sam Peters, who, um, as far as anyone who's involved with the glory, yep. um, if you've been a member of the, the GFU or any of those other bodies, you'll know who he is. Yep. Um, tragic loss, very young man, young family. 
um, and just a great servant to the game. Uh, one of the most passionate fans in Australia. I remember him from the forums, like easily. Yeah, well, 10, he was fifteen years ago. Was, one, yeah. one of the creators of those forums. Yeah. So, tells you just how embedded he was in the game. And there's a number of people, as I said before, um, Donna Gufray, Blaine Treadgold, who are regular regular contributors to this show, who um, would know the man yeah. intimately. And I think you know it's a it's a very sad loss when someone that young dies. But when it's someone who's within your, your football family, um, just hurts that little bit more. Yeah. Um, even if he was a Brentford fan. <laughs> no, they beat Arsenal. They're okay in my book. Um, so, yeah, look, it's um, a, a sad and tragic passing and, uh, look, sympathy to his family and anyone that knew him. Um, we're all deeply affected by his passing. Yep. Um, all right, so we've come to the end we've, of another show. We've come to the end. Yep. Um, we survived it, gremlins and all. Yeah. <laughs> Always getting these gremlins appearing. Yeah, well, that's what happens, mate. Um, out there in the world today, get out to the football games if you if you're not close to uh, a ground and you can't get out there. Uh, the Football West have streamed most of the uh, well, all the NPL games for yep. 18s upwards, yep. and for the state league, all the first team games are also podcasts. So get on to those; they're doing a wonderful job with that. Yep. So view it online. Sit on your couch. Yeah. If you can't get to the ground, get Absolutely. getting to the ground is the first priority. We'll be. Clear on that, but if for some reason you can't... Get out there, support your local team. That's right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then if not, uh, and some of them you may need to turn the sound down, but uh, <laughs> go watch the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, look, it's, it's one of my hates. I, I, one game, they actually moved the camera to the other side of the pitch <laughs> <laughs> because of the, the the antics on the sideline. But yeah. it's a part of the game we've got to clear up, and I don't know, as a player, it never really got me moving if someone was abusing me. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as a sport we've got to, and as a code, we've got to improve on those things. Um, referees always cop a bit, but that's part of being a referee. But uh, some of it just goes a little too far, and I think we've just got to wise up a bit. Tone it down a bit. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pete, thank you very much for being on. Um, Penny's back in next week. Um, I don't know who's with Penny next week. Uh, I think it's Hugh. Hugh. Hugh's doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it may actually be Hugh in next week with Penny, Ooh, not the other way around. Okay, very good. All right, for you out there, thanks for listening. We've got Lenny and the Jazz Show coming up next. My name's Sean Kelly. This has been the World Football Program. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.